0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of By Study and By Faith, where we take a look at critical thinking skills and apply them to LDS theology and history. I'm Zach Wright. We've got a great episode today. We're going to be talking about cognitive biases. Before we launch into that, though, I did want to make a quick plug for another uh, talk that was just uploaded from the most recent FAIR conference we had, it's given by one of my favorite people in the world, Jennifer Roach, and she kind of talks a little bit about the uh, kind of about her research in regards to abuse within the LDS Church, and kind of what the church is doing rather well in terms of kind of preventing abuse, and it just provides a lot of kind of insightful ideas, and I I think that it's just remarkable she also earned the john taylor defense of the faith award which just goes to show just how dedicated she is to being able to combat some kind of poor information that's out there uh definitely highly recommend taking a look at her material over there and also looking at her podcast on the fair conference so definitely keep an eye out for that but besides that, I think we're just going to launch right into it today. So, to kind of kick this off, I I think it's I, I think I can pull from a, a personal experience. So, someone who I know, who's a, a very vocal LGBTQ plus advocate, once got into an, an argument and or discussion with me about some concepts behind gender. And so I, I did everything I could to understand where they were coming from. I, I really try my best to understand where, what people mean when they say certain things, because there are lots of different perspectives on this very, very sensitive issue. And I want to make sure that I, I do my due diligence in terms of understanding what people mean when they say things, their sources, uh, whatever research they may have done, stuff like that. However, um, among other things, they were trying to convince me that uh, gender is a social construct, and having studied the issue myself, particularly from a from a psychological perspective, I I pushed back against that idea, and r- I, I tried to make it clear that, well, you could make the argument that certain concepts of of gender are social, but really, it's it's not a social construct.
1: I I have some problems with with the way that gender identity and gender expression are defined. The claims are that there is biological sex and then independent of that, there is gender identity and gender identity is basically defined as the individual's subjective sense of their gender. And it's completely unmoored from any surrounding social consensual or biological reality. And that independent of both of those is something called gender expression, which we haven't even talked about yet. I don't like the legislation because I don't like those definitions. I, I think that they're actually false. They're, the idea that biological sex and gender identity vary independently is patently absurd because 99.7% of people who are biologically male or biologically female consider themselves male or female. So the idea that they vary independently is absurd.
0: Despite my best efforts and trying to explain my position on it, uh, my research and perspective seem to seem to fall on deaf ears if I'm being honest. Instead, my my friends seem to cling to these ideas that that she tended to agree with and the people that she agreed with in, instead of being willing to take a look at another another perspective. And while more can be said about that specifically, I think this is a good example of what researchers and psychologists refer to as cognitive biases, which is what we'll be discussing today. So a few episodes ago, I, I explained logical fallacies or errors during logical reasoning, which can, which can lead to incorrect conclusions. And today, we're gonna, we're gonna be talking about the equivalent of that. But in this case, the equivalent of that is found within intuition as opposed to reason. We talked a little bit about intuition in our last episode. And we're going to be talking kind of about a more narrow scope of intuition. Because in my last episode, we talked a little bit about how intuition, I think, leaves a certain amount of, of room for having multiple sources and different things that affect it. And I, I kind of left room for the idea that intuition also can be affected by a more spiritual realm and how there there is at least room for that belief in there and how that uh, believing in a spiritual realm might be able to affect the and help us when we study intuition. However, today we're gonna be talking about kind of the, the more human aspects of intuition and how certain, about how certain processes within intuition can sometimes lead us astray. Cognitive biases are, and uh, this, this is a quote, errors in thinking that affect people's decision-making in virtually every situation. Unlike logical fallacies, cognitive biases stem from negative brain processes as opposed to propositions. Again, kind of bouncing back to what we talked about last time. Uh, in other words, Logical fallacies relate to arguments the way that cognitive biases relate to intuitive brain processes. And we as critical thinkers need to be aware of how these cognitive biases can affect our ability to critically think and solve problems and accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. In other words, in order to more objectively analyze the data that we're presented with on a day-to-day basis we need to be more aware about how cognitive biases can affect our thinking. So we'll first be talking a little bit about kind of where cognitive biases come from. We'll explore some examples, and then kind of explore some ideas about what we can do to kind of avoid cognitive biases. So let's get into it. Before we can launch into Uh, like a list of cognitive biases that I've got set up for you, we have to first understand where cognitive biases come from. Uh, Most cognitive biases come from for all intents and purposes mental shortcuts in our minds. Uh, Psychologists call these shortcuts heuristics. So one group of researchers described heuristics in the following way. A heuristic is a mental shortcut that allows an individual to make a decision, pass judgment, or solve a problem quickly and with minimal mental effort. While heuristics can reduce the burden of decision making and free up limited cognitive resources, they can also be costly when they lead individuals to miss critical information or act on unjust biases. So, kind of like what the quote was saying, heuristics help us arrive at conclusions easily and quickly, which is actually really useful. Uh, Heuristics take information that seems familiar and, and draws a connection to something we've observed in the past. Uh, we talked a little bit about pattern recognition when we talked about intuition. Uh, these These shortcuts often lead to really good results. We're able to get a lot done with heuristics most of the time. And they work until they don't. I'm gonna put up a video here so that you can kind of see a, a symbol that looks very, very familiar. This is the loading screen effect, where you see a, Uh, kind of a line of dots moving around in a circle. And this is something that we see pretty much on a daily basis. But in reality, none of the dots are actually moving. Nothing is is moving at all. What's really happening is that dots are lining up in a specific order and then growing progressively dimmer in, in said order and it gives the illusion to our minds that there's a line that's moving when in reality, nothing's moving at all. It's just a question of what's lighting up and what's not. So that's an example, or one of many examples, of kind of optical illusions that employ mental heuristics, where our brains are trying to make connections where there really isn't one to be found. Another video that I have available and that I'm gonna put up here is it kind of talks about how cognitive biases can do the opposite. Instead of drawing patterns, it can kind of mess with the way that we intake information. So I'm gonna take a quick, I'm gonna pause here for a second, play the video so that you can see it.
1: This is a test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many passes did you count? The correct answer is fifteen passes. But did you see the gorilla? So that was interesting. It's kind of a. It, it's kind of a
0: fun experiment that kind of helps employ how our, our brains will sometimes kind of cut out information that it doesn't deem to be necessary, or it, it kind of filters out stuff that we're not looking for. So in both instances, our brains are either making connections based on information that isn't present or ignoring information that is present. The accepted psychological theory right now is that a lot of these intuitive brain processes came from evolution and natural selection. Uh, in, in other words, we've inherited these instincts from our ancestors and they were super helpful and they enhanced our chances of survival and so our brains just kinda picked up on a lot of these patterns. That detail becomes important later. That being said though, I I, I do think an almost it's almost implied that the power of heuristics is nothing short of incredible. And and one thing I do wanna stress is that pattern recognition in of itself isn't a bad thing. I I mean, I'll be discussing today how inappropriate patterns can sometimes lead to problems in our thinking, but not all heuristically-based decisions are bad ones. Um, One pair of researchers noted that, quote, for many decisions, the assumptions of rational models are not met. And it is an empirical, that is, it's it's after the fact. Um, We figure out how effective it is after the fact, rather than an a priori, where we know before the fact, issue. About how well cognitive heuristics function in an uncertain world. So in other words, we don't know how well our heuristically-based decisions worked until after the fact. However, as we'll sometimes see, there are some unintended consequences that cognitive biases have that can cause problems for our thinking as we'll soon see now we get to the actual list or that brings us to the actual list of cognitive biases that that I kind of have prepared for you today and, and there are multiple types of cognitive biases each with kind of specific patterns so there are multiple cognitive biases each one with uh, multiple observable patterns and there are there are kind of four things that make up cognitive biases so first it's that each of them kind of draw on this idea that they're making patterns. It's the pattern recognition aspect, kind of with the loading screen effect that I, that I showed earlier. Second, it prioritizes information that correlates with what we already know. Third, it focuses on kind of more dominant, more impactful information at our disposal. And fourth, it ignores seemingly irrelevant information. And so, you'll notice that each of the biases that we bring up Bring up at least one of those four ideas. So keep an eye out for that as we as we kind of go down this list here. For example, we have the anchoring bias, which is the common human tendency to rely too much on the first piece of information or the anchor of our information when making decisions. So when we see information and don't critically think about it, we tend to allow that source to color how we see other sources of information. The problem with this kind of heuristic is apparent. Uh, It it inhibits valuable analysis and thought. It hyper-prioritizes information that we already have at the expense of learning additional information that may relate to the issue at hand. The fundamental attribution error is the tendency for people to overemphasize the dispositional or personality-based explanations for behaviors Observed in others while underemphasizing the situational explanations. So, in other words, we, we we tend to associate certain attributes that we see in other people as being a part of their personality, as opposed to being more situational. Uh, this is particularly particularly evident in kind of stressful situations. So, an example of this: we ha- imagine you have two members, member one and member two. Uh, so. Member two is in a hurry and comes across as rude and impatient to member number one. And so consequently, member number one is offended at the impatience and then classifies member number two as as an impatient person. Where in reality, member two is just in a hurry to get home to take care of his sick family. So the situation was mostly governing how member two's behavior was affecting how he treated other people and not necessarily his personality as a whole. And so this goes back to our idea that our heuristics focus on the most dominant information in front of us to jump to conclusions as a result. member two was rude and that kind of pops out at people. We, we tend to remember more negative information. Uh, so it, this is just kind of cycles back to this whole heuristic thing that we were mentioning earlier. The availability bias is, it, it indicates that the more available and relevant information there is, the more likely the event is judged to be. That's that's how one source put it. Uh, in another way, we, we tend to prioritize more available information, even if it doesn't tell the complete story. Uh, for instance, there's a lot more critical information about the church than positive information about the church in, in certain circles of social media. and. we we see people, and and a lot of people on there, they will talk about, and a lot of times, they are very vocal about their negative experiences that they had in church. That information is often more accessible and more advertised than information about how the members end up being more generous, more pro-social, and have overall higher well-being than most other populations of people, even among religious groups. Uh, Granted, that's not to say it's a contest, but it does go to show that there's evidence that goes against the idea that church members aren't happy or that the church is an overall negative place to be. But because that information is less available, fewer people outside the church know about it. They don't even know where to look. And again, this bias manifests the intuition's dismissal of seemingly absent or irrelevant information. The bias blind spot bias states that most people believe they are less biased than their peers. Uh, Or in other words, we're often able to point out other people's biases more easily than we're able to notice our own. So you can consider these statements, and I was actually able to look online, and I've altered the statements just a little bit, for readability, but I've really tried to stay true to what these comments actually stated. So, um, one quote I was able to find is, "You can get unbiased information about the church from books like *Under the Banner of Heaven* by John Krakauer." Um, for those of you that haven't heard about it, I, I recommend taking a look at some of FAIR's content about that. They have some they have some information about that. Uh, another quote I was able to find is, "You can get the real Mormon history from." insert favorite critic here and th- the problem with these statements is that they're appealing to some idea of purity that doesn't really exist uh, there's no such thing as an unbiased source we've talked about that repeatedly and as you can see it's it, it's easier for people to ignore bias in favor of what they believe because our, our mental heuristics tend to a lean in favor of the information that we already know and so it just becomes difficult for us to, to catch ourselves when we, when we apply bias and as opposed to other people. In a similar vein to that, we have confirmation bias, which is characterized by seeking or interpreting of evidence in ways that are partial to existing beliefs. Uh, this can also be described as only looking for things that support your opinion. Uh, Examples of this can be found in critics of the church only associating with people who they agree with in their assessments about the church history while ignoring or dismissing organizations such as FAIR. Uh, This, however, again, kind of goes back to this idea that um, it prioritizes information that we already know at the expense of other information that might be out there. And this bias is actually really, it's, it's a real problem particularly on a lot of social media platforms and even among members of the church, so it's important to really keep an eye out for that one. It happens to be a really it happens to be a really problematic one in relation to the others. The framing bias refers to the observation that the manner in which data is presented can affect decision making. Uh, the the way the information is initially presented can Uh, affect how we process that information, and can sometimes lead us to incorrect conclusions, or in other words, we we make a decision based on how the issue was framed. Uh, For example, uh, the two statements of you belong to a manipulative cult differs greatly from you belong to a high demand religion. Uh, This heuristic pulls on the idea that our brains focus on dominant and impactful data. The term cult is a very charged word. And it's, it's often used in a very negative connotation. So hearing it leads us to a conclusion that may or may not be accurate. There are lots, and I mean lots of examples of using high-powered language and how that can really affect our ability to arrive at correct conclusions. I mean, after all, depending on how you use the word, you could describe all religions as cults. It's the problem, though, is that a lot of people just don't take that into account, and so the way that people frame things can really affect how we, or what conclusions we arrive at. The hindsight bias is the tendency after an event has occurred to overestimate the extent to which the outcome could have been foreseen. Uh, this one is a little bit more well-known through the phrase hindsight's 2020," 20 but it's, its status as a cognitive bias is apparent. Um, this is often used against a lot of, in, in terms of LDS discussion, this is often used against profits and the mistakes that they make. It, it may be easy for us to say, how could Brigham Young have said X thing? Isn't that obvious that it wasn't true? However, this just shows our bias. We, we have more information than Brigham Young did, and we've been able to draw patterns and make connections in a way that Brigham Young may not have been able to. However, in in such discussions, we have to remember that we're all human. We all make mistakes. I I try to be as charitable to people, past or present, as I would hope that Jesus Christ would be charitable to me towards, charitable towards me during Judgment Day. That's That's the kind of model that I try to live by. The loss or regret aversion bias was put by one researcher as an expression of fear. Well, fear of what? It's fear of regret, pain, and loss. This can manifest itself in a, in a few different ways. So m- maybe a member is scared to take a serious like a church history because they're scared of losing their testimony. Or perhaps a critic of the church is scared of regretting their decision to leave the church and so they double down on their criticisms. Uh, these fears, even if somewhat justified, can impede our ability to understand the world around us. They, our brains, again, tend to focus on dominant information, and, and let's be honest, we remember our failures and mistakes far more often than we remember our successes. They are far more dominant in our minds. But we, it's important to keep that in mind as we make decisions because we, that, lo- that fear of loss and that fear of regret can really impede our ability to not only just learn things, but also to make decisive decisions and to really kind of make an impact in the world and in our lives and in our families and it's, it's really vital that we don't allow fear to govern a lot of our relationships because that, that can lead to just as many problems as maybe the things that we fear may bring into our lives if that makes sense. One often meets his destiny on the road he takes to avoid it. The stereotyping bias is probably more familiar to to most people. A a more technical definition of a stereotype is a category-based beliefs about a group that involve affective evaluative loading and behavioral tendencies. In other words, we put people with certain characteristics into a category in our minds. We put them in a box based on patterns that we see so for example a critic might say something like uh, mormons are raised to be bigoted and judgmental among other things this is a stereotype placed on us by other people however this bias comes from people's tendency to over correlate data that is it's easy for us to categorize other people as being a certain way uh, sometimes even if we don't realize it and there's actually some again, going back to what I was mentioning before, there's really good evidence to show the opposite of that, about how uh, members of the church are actively engaged in their communities. They're rendering mm. high amounts of volunteer hours in relation to other people, so th- this, the claim in of itself has some problems, but it is in fact a stereotype that's been placed on members of the church, and so it, it does go to show how sometimes these cognitive biases can um kind of ignore really important information in a similar vein to that we have the in-group bias which is characterized or described as the willingness of members of a group to treat their own group as superior than others so in other words we're willing to hold those we don't like to a higher standard than those we do like so for example I've seen instances where critics of the church tend to give the benefit of doubt to other critics, but not with those who defend the church. So when members of the church didn't know something, it's because we're ignorant, but you'd be hard-pressed to find a member of that same critical community who would call another critic ignorant. Uh, You're far more likely to find them saying that the lay members are ignorant than you are to find them saying that a member of their own ranks is ignorant. And again, this kind of practice goes back to how people focus on dominant information. And so people in the in-group, for a lot of people who have left the church, there are a lot of criticisms that are dominant in their mind. And so they focus on that information while not taking into account that there's far more that goes into this concept of research. The in-group bias as a result can lead to problems, both in terms of judging other people and also kind of, again, ignoring relevant information and focusing on dominant information. Before I continue, I, I, I do wanna make one disclaimer. I'm not saying that those who have left the church are more susceptible to cognitive biases than those who are not left to the church. With, with just as much ease, I can find several instances where members of the church can employ the same kinds of cognitive errors. And if you can identify cognitive biases in, in yourself and make note of which ones tend to cause you the most amount of trouble, it's easier to correct them. And as you'll soon see, it, it happens to be one of the first steps in being able to combat cognitive biases. And I hope that these examples will will make it easier for you to see where cognitive biases might be able to be employed in our thinking. That prompts the question still, how can, how can we avoid cognitive biases? Well, there are a lot of sources out there that provide insights as as to how you can prevent a lot of these cognitive biases from affecting your life. You, we won't be able to go over all of them today, and even if I could, the ways that those practices can be applied vary from person to person. Uh, I'll include some stuff in the further studies a further study section of the article so you can take a look at that so instead of that i'll be i'll be covering just a few principles that i think would be useful in in terms of what we can do to reduce the effects of cognitive biases at least a little bit so right off the bat one of the best things you could possibly do is slow down a little bit in terms of your decision making process when possible as mentioned before, heuristics, for all intents and purposes, are mental shortcuts. But we, if we don't need to take the shortcut and we can like do, our, do the work and we have time to do the work, there's really no need to take the shortcut. So take some time to do your research. Study it out in your mind. Uh, by taking more time, we'll be more likely to avoid impulsive decisions, and if we're able to, Um, it's important to allow our intuition to be supported by other epistemic sources, such as reason. So, what should we do while we're taking this time out, so to speak? We need to take another step back for a moment. So, again, cognitive biases stem from heuristics, which help us make decisions quickly. So, it stands to reason, then, that in order to limit the cognitive biases we're employing, we first have to recognize what heuristics are at play. Asking ourselves questions like, am I focusing on some information at the expense of other information? Or is there some kind of information that I'm missing can be helpful to us as critical thinkers while we're analyzing what biases are at play. By reviewing the presuppositions we have, it's easier for us to see how our intuition may be helping us or hurting us. By the same token, it's also useful to look at the issue from different perspectives. Uh, being able to look at information as well as receive feedback may, may reduce the effects of cognitive biases. Uh, when you find something that confuses you, uh, don't just take the critic's word for it. Look at what opposing look at what opposing views have to say, such as fair, or consult other experts in in different areas. Uh, Not only is there likely to be information that you didn't know, thus helping you to analyze the issues at hand and adjust to more dominant information, but it's also nice to analyze the issues from people with different perspectives. They look at things differently than us. All of us prioritize different things. Listing out what everyone is saying about it, it becomes easier to verify your information and kind of a it, it makes it easier for us to make sure that we're getting all the information as well. So this practice at looking at what other people have to say can be really useful in fact checking your data and is always, as a result, going to be useful for critical thinkers. To kind of wrap up, it was a little bit of a shorter episode today, but again, Heuristics can be a widely versatile tool that can help us resolve problems in powerful ways. However, just like any tool, it it can be misused and can sometimes get in the way of our ability to arrive at correct conclusions and solve problems. Cognitive biases come in many shapes and sizes, but they don't have to define our thought processes. There are good ways to avoid allowing these mental shortcuts to disrupt our lives, our analyses, and our problem-solving attempts, and, again, virtually every aspect of our lives. Cognitive biases will always be a part of human nature. I don't think we can get around that. Uh, Again, I I don't think we're supposed to. Heuristics, again, are important, and even if we could ignore them, we don't have the time and energy to, to function well in this modern world without them. Instead, it serves us to be patient with ourselves as we root out um, the bad and the, the bad cognitive biases, and replace them with better tools by which we can analyze the information. And as we analyze where our intuition can sometimes lead us astray, it becomes easier for us as critical thinkers to solve problems and avoid common pitfalls that inhibit good reasoning. Again, asking ourselves questions learning how and how not to use heuristics can really improve how we learn and how we use our agency and for for us latter-day saints eventually help us become the kinds of thinkers and believers god wants us to be but that was mostly what i wanted to be able to talk with you about today so thank you for tuning in over the next couple of weeks we're going to be going over uh the Dunning-Kruger effect, among a couple of other, among a couple of other kind of ideas that kind of emerge from cognitive biases that we didn't get the chance to go over today. So, be sure to tune in in the next couple of weeks. But that's mostly what I wanted to be able to talk about today. So, besides that, just be sure to have a fantastic rest of your day.